Welcome to the Swan Signal Podcast, a production of Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com. I'm your host, Brady Swenson. The Swan Signal Podcast is an audio archive of our Swan Signal live broadcasts. Every week, we host a hangout with a group of Bitcoiners live on the Swan Twitter account to chat about the latest Bitcoin news and muse about a bright Bitcoin future. In this episode of Swan Signal, we're joined by Will Reeves, founder of Fold, and Phil Geiger, head of marketing at Unchained Capital. We talk about Fold's awesome new rewards card, a first in Bitcoin. It's very exciting. You can effortlessly earn sats back wherever you shop. We discuss Phil's recent piece titled 21 Million is Non-Negotiable on the Great Unchained Capital blog. I think we can all agree that Bitcoin's monetary policy is not up for debate, but his piece is an authoritative rebuke to the idea it's a must-read. We were also joined variously throughout by a few other fellow Bitcoiners like Guy Swan, Daniel Prince, Phil Gibson, Sergey Kotliar, and Jimmy Song. This is a weekly highlight for us at Swan, and we're happy to be able to share it with you all. Enjoy. All right, we are live. Welcome everyone to Swan Signal Live. We've got two fantastic guests with us today. Will Reeves of Fold. Uh, everyone here will know Fold. Will, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. It's good to be here. And Phil, uh, Phil Geiger from Unchained Capital. Phil, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. And of course, we have Corey Clipston, founder of Swan Bitcoin, Give Bitcoin. Corey, how are you? And, and how is Swan? Give us a little update on the on how, how things are going with Swan. Hey, Brady. Yeah, no, it's good to be here. Love, uh, this is like the highlight of my week every Wednesday, just getting in here and talking to awesome Bitcoiners. I'm psyched to hear a little bit more from Phil about the piece he put out last week. And, and Will obviously had, I think, one of the most exciting announcements, uh, product announcements in the crypto space in, the, in Bitcoin of this year. So I'm psyched to hear a little bit more about that. Um, so this is going to be kind of like a shilling episode a little bit, which is awesome. Um, But yeah, quick update on Swan. Uh, Obviously, we've been live two weeks now, which is just uh, super exciting. Uh, We've got our uh, we've got our Spartans got our first uh, 300 users. So that's pretty awesome. Um, Way ahead of where we planned to be uh, two weeks in. So really excited about that. Um, People love to uh, to set up stacking plans as we suspected. Um, So shout out to uh, Friar Haas for pushing the DCA narrative like a beast and uh, showing us how many other people out there there were that wanted that too. Um, you know, this was something that we had built into the Give Bitcoin product from the beginning, but it became very clear uh, as we progressed that it deserved its own product and its own brand. And so it's just been super exciting to, uh, to bring that to the fore. Um, and then Brady, we have an announcement of a, of a new team member uh, if he's ready, we can bring him in. Otherwise, we can just kind of do that later when he joins. Yeah, I guess he's not ready yet. He's not uh, in the okay. waiting room. So, so that, that was a good, uh, I just just on that thing. It was an announcement of an announcement. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that later in the show. Um, and then, yeah, I think we're, we're going to try to do uh, video call-ins. So if you're watching this, go to t.me slash swansignal, which will pop you into the swansignal chat room. And I'm going to do the Baba Booey producer thing while Brady actually conducts good interviews and uh, try to grab questions from the audience and maybe have a couple people actually pop in, ask their questions live and have a little discussion with you guys. So be ready for some randos uh, and uh, we'll see how this goes. All right. 
right. Thanks, Corey. All right, guys. Um, we got to start with the the big news. Um, Will, you've got, you guys have launched the card. I think this has been a long time in coming. This is a first uh, on the scene in uh, Bitcoin Sats Back, Bitcoin Rewards. Uh, it's really amazing, man. It's really exciting. Uh, tell us about your experience, you know, bringing this thing to, to fruition, making it a reality. It hasn't been done before, like I said, so I'm assuming that it was quite a lift. Can you tell us about that process? Yeah, I mean, so back in October, September, we we launched our Sats Back app to the app stores. And the work to get this card out was well underway even at that time. So it's no understatement to say that it, it, it was no small feat. Um, but the cool thing is I have been blown away by Visa's curiosity about the space, the depth of knowledge that they had and that they were willing to move. And so we worked through them, showing them the data that we were seeing on our end for the demand for such a product, why Bitcoin rewards are fundamentally better um, than other rewards out there, how this can totally separate them in the market of you know, uh, commoditized card options. And the value proposition for them was, uh, you know, it took, you know, for, for someone who talks to retailers all the time, getting their heads around why Bitcoin, uh, Visa was remarkably fast. And so uh, I couldn't imagine a better partner in this. And I think seeing the launch last week, even amidst these crazy times we're in, um, we had a hell of a response. And so we, we, we know and Visa now knows uh, the, the latent demand for products like this. So I expect we'll see many more. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, it would be amazing to see, you know, Visa and MasterCard jump in on the game. And, I mean, you guys leading the way makes a ton of sense. Um, one of the things that we do at Swan or kind of one of our strategies is to be the most recommendable Bitcoin on-ramp, right? Like do things the Bitcoin way, earn Bitcoiners respect and trust. And uh, I think that, you know, Fold is probably, you know, operating on a similar strategy. And even if big players like that come in the game, um, you know, the third party referrals, the organic referrals are going to come to the, you know, the pioneers and those who are like really operating the Bitcoin way, you know. Um, so I know Fold's going to be on that level as well. Yeah. Uh, all right. We, we've got, sorry, go ahead. I, I just want to add to that because I think that's such yeah. an important part of the, the values of a being a Bitcoin only company. So we saw the first wave of adoption coming through mainly via exchanges who exposed newbies to a you know, untold amount of digital assets. And that got them various financial uh, uh, straits for, for many of them, uh, confused them about the value proposition of what we're coming in. And so ultimately, the space was kind of muddled about what, what, is, what are we all doing here? And by going fully on Bitcoin, not only that can you stand behind the value system of Bitcoin, but uh, you also are uh, providing a responsible on-ramp for new people into the space. And I think more and more we are going to see a divergence away from, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, multi-token, you know, pandemonium of, of the past and, and, and converting, converging on Bitcoin because of the recognition it has, but also as the, you know, the companies that are doing that know that they're, they're doing, um, being responsible by their customers. And so for me, I think, uh, I I'm looking forward to more companies like Swan, Unchain, Fold, going all Bitcoin. Absolutely, man. I was just going to say, we've got another Bitcoin only, a representative of another Bitcoin only company here. Uh, Phil, Unchain Capital, unapologi unapologetically Bitcoin only, uh, just like the other two companies, uh, here on, uh, Swan Signal Live today. 
Uh, how's it going, man? I, I saw you drop a, uh, a new piece on a blog recently. I think it was last, last week. Um, uh, 21 million is not negotiable. Uh, give us a quick update first on what's going on in Unchained and then uh, tell us a, you know, a, bit, a bit of a summary about your piece. I want to get to it in more in depth in a little later, but uh, yeah, just give us like a quick summary and, and why you wrote it with the inspiration for it. Sounds good. Yeah. So at Unchained, uh, you know, we're, we're a Bitcoin native financial services company. So we're doing um, multi-signature vaults, two of three, where uh, you have uh, two keys as a client and we hold one key. So we're helping with um, retail and, indiv- uh, and uh, businesses as well, uh, protect and, and store their Bitcoin. Then we also have our collateralized loan product. Um, but yeah, I think what we, uh, what we really want to talk about is, is uh, our, our interesting blog series. So um, uh, Parker Lewis, one of my colleagues, has been writing the Gradually Then Suddenly series over the course of the last year. And uh, Dhruv Bonsal, one of our co-founders, has been uh, contributing. And, and I thought I'd, I'd throw my hat in the ring with a couple articles, uh, my most recent of which is called 21 Million is Non-Negotiable. Um, so the, the idea behind 21 Million is Non-Negotiable is uh, I, I really wanted to break down the, the question that is still kind of lingering on a lot of people's minds, which is, is Bitcoin going to be secure post uh, the block reward having or, or, or post the last Bitcoin being mined? Um, and uh, yeah, I go through it pretty thoroughly and, and kind of break down some key concepts and some key assumptions that people are making that I think are, are incorrect and then hopefully build a, a good argument as to why uh, Bitcoin is secure because it is 21 million and not, not because uh, of, of the block reward having. Yeah, I love the piece. I just uh, finished reading it this morning. I, get, I always give, you know, the Unchained pieces a quick skim when they first come out, but uh, it's just, they're always so uh, in-depth and dense uh, with great information and takes. So you have to really sit down and, and spend a good, like, 30, 45 minutes really uh, absorbing everything. So uh, it's fresh in my mind. I definitely want to get into the kind of nitty-gritty and because uh, I think you made a, a ton of great points that just Bitcoiners need to be armed with when this kind of FUD comes up. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit later. Right now, I want to bring in uh, Guy Swan, host of the Crypto Economy podcast. Um, what's up, Guy? You're on Swan Signal Live. How's it going, man? Oh, he's getting his audio up and running. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Turn that volume up a bit. What is up? What's up, man? Hey. What's up, man? How's it going? Hey, good to see you. Yeah. The Swan team is stacked. (laughs) Stacking swans. Stacking swans. Corey is is maybe the best networker I've ever known. Um, And he's built an incredible network of Bitcoiners and recruited uh, an amazing team. Super proud to work with. And I, you know, I've been friends with Guy for quite a while now. He was my first like Bitcoin friend, I like to say. Like you really got to know him on a personal (laughs) level. Um, you know, love his podcast. It's a great service to Bitcoin. He's the voice of Bitcoin. And in that capacity, he'll be helping us uh, at Swan spread Bitcoin to new audiences. Uh, audiences. He's going to represent uh, the agents of Swan to media outlets outside the Bitcoin echo chamber. Really excited to have him on board to help us with all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dude, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm crazy excited, actually. This is awesome. Um, and uh, uh, I appreciate that, you know, uh, y'all reached out to me about this because like I've personally just been kind of excited about Swan Bitcoin because I've wanted that service for so long. And the couple of times it landed, 
it would go away in no time. Like I used lawnmower back in the day. I used Coinbase back when it wasn't like stupid, expensive and hidden. Um, and before Coinbase was a piece of crap. Um, and <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of all this. Um, and, you know, Swan, it, it, it fits somehow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, welcome to the team. Um, when I saw you pop into the Slack, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in the door. Here we go. Guy is in the house. Glad to have you, man. Uh, do you have some questions uh, for I Will and do. Phil before you have I to hop do. off and get back to, yes. get back to reading our Bitcoin articles for us? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, Will, what's up? Hey, man, how's it going? I've, we have not chatted at all, I don't think. Have we had any sort of a conversation up to now? Because I've been following Fold since y'all were just Starbucks on yeah, website. it's been quite a journey. And, and again, we were, uh, was, we were talking with Phil and, and Brady about how it's weird when you don't have run-ins with people you talk to and, and <laughs> talking to every day. And so, um, yeah, I think this is the first one, but uh, your video that you made with Barack Omaba uh, was incredible. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been, I've been using, since y'all had the app, like I was on uh, before, uh, actually I used the website for quite some time. Um, before I even realized that I didn't have an account and I could only get it on that that one website, like on on the on my one browser. So I was like, oh my god, how do I get my points from one to the next? <laughs> um, while everything was still in beta. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I've been using the crap out of it. Um, every time I go to Starbucks now, like if I'm not, I'm either using Lightning or my credit card because it's like, why wouldn't I just stack? Like, how could I not just get one percent back? So yeah. on that note, I'm ecstatic about the card and I'm, I'm not exactly sure what y'all have covered yet um but before i get to a question about the card have y'all thought about because breeze is the main wallet that i use they have that little like marketplace um yep. in the actual thing have y'all actually talked about and thought about being in the actual marketplace like right in the store so roy and i have a a email thread that goes back, back and forth for months and it basically goes <laughs> like this always saying, hey, we're ready to get fold in there. I'm saying, okay, we're going to get to it in a week. And it is just that ping-ponging back and forth. <laughs> um, you know, fold is, it's, you know, we're five people. Um, and sometimes we bite off more than we can chew, which means that we have to leave other things on the side, uh, you know, on, on the side. But um, Roy, I think Breeze is one of the best wallets out there. Uh, that is, uh, I think, our second highest volume of Lightning transactions coming from from Breeze um, and the the about user, half of that is me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the user experience is amazing. So I mean, Roy, we'll get to it next week. Awesome. <laughs> um, uh, and I also heard a rumor from it landed in the Crypto Economy Crew Telegram that uh, y'all were adding tons of merchants, but in the scope, I didn't realize that y'all were a team of five. That's pretty amazing what y'all are putting together with that. Um, but uh, what's the future look like for uh, uh, new merchants? So that was another one that we, you know, we, we were looking at the roadmap, you know, what can we do with uh, you know, people that we have? And so we actually prioritized uh, pushing out the visa work and the card work ahead of rolling out 250 merchants that we already have signed up. Um, and so now it's just rolling those merchants out so that we can actually make them available. But the good part is all of the legwork is done. Heavy lifting is done. Now it's just actually putting them on the platform. And so I would expect nice. now that announcement gone that you'll see more and more um, 
uh, new merchants start coming through. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so excited. Um, uh, okay, two questions about Lightning real quick. Um, just because Roy talks about this a lot in like his articles, um, but how has Lightning, like, because from a user perspective, it's pretty, it's like dirt simple. And like the two things that I use more than anything are Fold and BitRefill. Um, so the, the network there is like really tight and I think I've emptied and refilled my wallet like 20 times. I mean, now that I can do it immediately with strike, um, uh, like that's going to happen a lot more often, I think. Um, but how has lightning been from the merchant side of things? Um, yeah. what's, it, what's it like working with managing channels and balancing and all that stuff? Is it a headache? I mean, so, you know, what Fold's approach to this whole, to, to everything right now is to meet merchants and, you know, users, consumers, where they're at today. Like, what do they have in their pocket right now that we can in, integrate them into the Bitcoin economy? How can we immediately do that uh, with this little uh, friction in between? And so that's why the original product uh, works on, on, on gift cards. So it allows merchants to experience the demand for lightning payments experience the cost savings of lightning payments without actually having to settle in Bitcoin. And this is an important part. It's because, you know, retailers, very conservative, they have a million things to do and adding a whole new payment method to their, to their stack is just not a top priority. And so yeah, yeah. full great way to inject ourselves into the conversation. We start getting executives within the organization talking about the benefits coming through here. You know, when you a fold users, the only one who's not incurring processing fees on behalf of the merchant, um, they're spending more than their fiat uh, um, uh, counterpart. And uh, the user on the other end is getting more incentives without any more money coming out of the pocket of the retailer. And so, you know, it's really about showing by doing for a lot of these retailers. And we start the conversation there as opposed to just saying, we're going to drop a whole new POS system in there and we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ramp up basically. Yeah. Nice. Um, and, uh, a quick last thing is what on the horizon in lightning uh, do y'all think is going to solve the most problems? Like uh, particularly from y'all side is like amps, splicing, aggregation, like, like that sort of thing. Tapper. I mean, amps, amps are huge. I mean, we have, amps. we still have um, issues with, you know, there's a ceiling on, on, on how much you can spend uh, on fold with lightning. Uh, there's, you know, still issues with, uh, uh, routing, routing, uh, issues. And so things like AMP, I think is the number one thing for at least folds problems to solve. Um, but you know, fold is a one way lightning, uh, uh, connection, right? You're we're only receiving payments. And that is a, when you're working with channels to balancing channels, everyone, you know, should know on this call, the, the, the pains of that. Um, so one thing that we are doing is to make that a circular. So right now, all of the Bitcoin that Fold receives from payments is not sold. It's immediately distributed as Bitcoin to other people using the platform. And so we've done one, one part of this, creating the circular economy within Fold. Now the next thing is allowing you to withdraw that Bitcoin rewards into, a light, into your Lightning channel. So nice. that way we can get a much more efficient use of our channels, we can make our lives easier. And we know that a user with a on with a with Bitcoin on chain versus a user with Bitcoin on lightning, that lightning user is already more um, um, interested in using it. 
Uh, they'll, they'll use more services immediately. And that's kind of the reason why on Fold's app, we don't even support on-chain payments right now. Uh, we, we cycle you directly into Lightning. Nice. Awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, dude. Um, I'm, I'm so jacked to see. I want, I want to be on. If it, the higher I can get on that list for the card, uh, just let me know what I can do because <laughs> I want that immediately. I'm not saying there's a side list, but there, if there was, Guy would be on the top of that list. Samesies. I'm, 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 this is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's Bill. on record. What's up, man? How's it going? Pretty good, man. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Good to see you guys. Um, Will, I just have to say, man, I'm, I'm super addicted to, to spinning that wheel. Hold on. <laughs> oh, I haven't spun it today. Oh, I'm going to see. A hundred sats. You almost hit the million. You almost just hit the million. I was close. Next time. I'm going to get a million. Wait for it. Fold, the Fold team realized that there was something missing in the Bitcoin space now that we don't have faucets anymore. So we're like, okay, let's make a wheel. Yeah. It's good. I love, I, love idea, I love the idea of, uh, of like every swipe of a card being just one step towards hyper-Bitcoinization, right? <laughs> any, any amount of sats back is, is taking that, that incremental step. So, oh, and even if we can can redirect the flow of 10% of rewards being paid out in the U S alone, that represents millions of Bitcoin. That's, that's, that's massive buy pressure. So when you start to think of, you know, in, in a year we have Swan who's just owning the DCA game. We have fold and others with uh, sats back plans, custody, like Unchained, making it easier and easier to do this. The buy pressure, the, the new buy pressure, not just, not just consumers or retail or institutions coming in, but just that buy pressure uh, is not to be underestimated. Yeah. And even better is it's a, it's a, it's a consistent like trickle. It's, it's, a, it's like a stable, consistent growth. Like I'm, I will gladly like dump my like target debit card or whatever that saves me, you know, 3% for 1% in Bitcoin, because if that 3% is in fiat, I'm just going to spend it. But if that 1% is in Bitcoin, I'm going to be much more likely to take that out and put that in cold storage or something later on. We, um, we are looking into this actually about Bitcoin as, as a, as a, as a tool to, uh, create, you know, sound financial decision-making in, in, uh, within users. You know, there's, there's a lot of great studies about, um, uh, no loss lotteries about ways of, of allowing you to save at the same time as basically saying, do not spend this money. Yeah. And the harder you do that, the more you do that, the more that people start to totally change their, their entire spending behaviors every day to just watch their bag get a little bit bigger. And so I think there is a way, I hope Fold is a good conduit to do this or a platform to try this out. But, you know, Bitcoin as a tool to teach great financial practices for, for a world that has very little of that. Yeah. We have a bunch of unscrupulous and degenerate savers on this call today. <laughs> <laughs> Hoarders. The economy with our surpluses. Inflationary <laughs> uh, spiral. Of, uh, <laughs> Speaking of uh, sound finance, um, I have always been crazy curious, Phil, um, uh, how, 
like what like for, for instance with the recent sudden 50% drop in bitcoin how does the bitcoin backed loan like work out what's the risk set up for you guys and how does that play out in those sorts of situations like are people getting liquidated or like like how does that even happen March was a very, very interesting month for Unchained Capital. So when we did see that uh, 50% price crash over the course of, you know, what was it, eight, 10 hours? Um, yeah, some of the, the leveraged uh, clients that we had ran into trouble with their loans. We saw some liquidations, unfortunately, which we absolutely never want to see. But due to the just extreme price dip, uh, people weren't able to post collateral quick enough. Uh, so one side of our business, that lending side, we did see, uh, you know, we did take a hit on it. On the other hand, uh, the vault side, it was our best month ever in March. So, and, and, and actually we published a little bit of uh, HODL waves data science last month as well. That kind of showed that a lot of the, the, yeah, all that. yeah the, the price crash, crash was coming from, uh, coins, which had been sitting for generally one year or less. Um, and I think just our business being kind of on both sides of that, we could see that on one side, the, the leverage, the loans, um, did unfortunately take a hit, but on the other side, the vaults and the long-term, uh, hodlers have, have been stacking, uh, pretty heavily over the past month. Um, so yeah, I kind of think of, uh, you know, I think of Swan and I think of Fold as amazing, amazing on-ramps for people, uh, getting used to Bitcoin. And uh, where Unchained Capital comes in is a little bit further down that journey where you're ready to take control of your private keys. Uh, you've been maybe saving Bitcoin for a while and would like to start uh, leveraging it a little bit for, for everyday purchases. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a like from the, the, the client funnel or the, the Bitcoiner funnel, right? You have uh, these great sat stacking apps up at the top. Uh, people are learning about Bitcoin. They're getting educated. Uh, they, they kind of take control of those private keys. That's really what, what we believe is like the first um, major step into becoming like part of the, the Bitcoin economy for long term. And, and that's where we, we want to step in and, and help those people at that point. Yeah. On that on that note, how does the vault system work exactly? Um, I've I, uh, skimmed but have not actually gotten to the year of multi-sig article or or the more recent of yours the um actually i think y'all were just talking about that just a minute ago um 21 million is non-negotiable there, there you go that one um, so the, yeah, yeah i can talk a little bit about uh vault creation so we use um so we we consider ourselves bitcoin native financial services and what that means to us is is we for as much as possible push private keys into the hands of our clients and the best way to be able to offer uh, sort of traditional financial services is through multi-sig quorums and creative usage, uh, creative structures of them. So for our vaults, uh, we have two of three multi-sig addresses that as a client, you create using two of your private keys. So if you have two hardware wallets, a ledger, a Trezor, uh, we're working really hard on being able to support cold card in the future. So if you have any one of those uh, hardware wallets, you upload an extended public key on our platform. So you're never sharing any private information with us, just extended public key information. And then we combine two of your XPubs with one of our public keys to build your own unique address. So really, we're, we're just helping to facilitate uh, security for you long term. Like you're still holding your money because you have two out of three coins uh, keys, 
and we're there providing like a nice user experience as well as if anything you know happens to one of your keys we can step in and help sign transactions um, and then on the other side of our business for loans um, once you have a vault with us you can easily transfer from a vault into a loan and really you're moving from one multi-sig address to another multi-sig address in the loan multi-sig address you get to hold one key we hold a key and then a neutral third party holds that third key so what's really changing is like the structure of the multi-sig quorum. Um, and we think this is a pretty interesting and unique way to be able to offer financial services with Bitcoin and uses the inherent security property. Yeah. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I have, uh, I've looked into the Bitcoin collateralized loans um, uh, quite a bit for like rates and all that good stuff. Um, and the like what, three or four companies I think now that are offering it. And you guys are the only ones that do multi-sig. And I'm like, I can't even, I can't even begin to entertain any of the other ones. Like, I'm just like, like if I'm just handing my Bitcoin over, particularly like the risk, you know, Bitcoin drops 50% sometimes, you know, it's volatile. Things get crazy. You don't know. You, you, you don't really know. If I can't see it, if I'm not holding a key, like I just, I just can't imagine trusting a company like that. I mean, I, 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 I've lived through the Mt. Gox days, you know, and yeah. have been burned numerous times in this space. So I don't, I don't trust anybody. And I, I just love that. I would never, I would never, I would never even, I don't care how comfortable you guys' shirts are, which they are, but I would never wear it if y'all didn't have multi-sync on those collateralized lines. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. I think, I think the, the big, um, the big difference between the way that we, do loans and uh, some of the other, uh, some of our competition out there is that um, you are always, if you want an active participant in the security of your funds, right? You get to yeah. hold one key, which means you still don't have control over your funds, but you can always verify cryptographically that the money is where we say it is. Yeah. Uh, and you have, um, you know, you have the ability to collaborate with either us or the, the third party company that we include in the quorum if something happens to either one of us. So there's an, a channel or an external spending channel in case something happens to one of the parties. And, you know, contrasting that to some of the competition, uh, you set up an account with them, you give them, you deposit Bitcoin into an address that they provide to you. A lot of times they're taking that Bitcoin, they're commingling it with their other clients' Bitcoin. Uh, they may be rehypothecating it, which is uh, lending out that Bitcoin to, you know, short sellers or speculators or something. You don't really have any insight into where your Bitcoin is after you've given it up. Um, yeah. But with our loans, you know, there's certainly still absolutely risk with taking out any sort of, uh, you know, loan off of Bitcoin as collateral because the price is so volatile. But we believe that the way we're doing it is the, the most closely aligned with like the Bitcoin ethos of not your keys, not your coins. Don't trust, verify, stuff like that. Yeah. It's definitely, I see it as, um, I kind of look at it even more as a step a little bit further to proof of reserves because it's not even explicitly proof of reserves. It's proof of reserve strictly for your account and your business. Like yeah. so anything that I am doing, I have an explicit reserve and an explicit balance of Bitcoin that I even have, you know, a key of. Um, and I'm not... It's not just that, you know, you've published this is how many accounts and all my liabilities and we have this amount of Bitcoin to cover it. It's no, here is your explicit account and here is your explicit reserve that we are covering for. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, I, it's I, the, I it's the that. it's the Bitcoin way, man. It's the Bitcoin way, like we were talking <laughs> about earlier, and that's the comp- companies like uh, Bitcoin only companies doing it the Bitcoin way is is the wave of the future, and I'm glad we're at that stage now. Uh, one of the things I love about Swan is is that uh, you know we want you to take your Bitcoin you know out of our custodial partner uh, you know addresses and and put it into your own wallet, you know, you know hold your own keys. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we don't, we don't have any incentive for people to be holding, uh, you know, our custodian to be holding uh, their, you know, your Bitcoin for you. Uh, we have absolute incentive to get you to take it off and to teach you how to do that and, you know, walk you through it if you need, if you need help. And then, you know, we have consent to, uh, to people like uh, Unchained and say, hey, this multi-sig is the best way to do it. This is uh, super simple. Uh, so, you know, I love that. I mean, that's, that's the Bitcoin way in my mind. So thanks, Guy. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, I know man. you have to get, get back to reading. What are you reading today? Uh, I am reading uh, uh, Arthur Hayes's uh, on the BitMEX blog. Choose your fiction. Have y'all read that? Nice. No, I haven't read it yet. I'm gonna. I'll, oh, I'll, I'm amazing. gonna have to listen to it. Yeah, it's good stuff. You'll like it. it turns out he's got quite the way with words. Uh, <laughs> all in, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. All right, guys, dude. It was awesome to get to chat with y'all. Y'all have fun. I'll the voice of Bitcoin. Thanks, later, dude. guy. Thanks. Later. Hey, Brady, we've got a, a couple people in the waiting room, they say, but I don't see them uh, or how yeah. to add them. Maybe oh, I do. I see Daniel and Phil. Okay. Mr. Say, do you want me to add? Who do you want to go first? Uh, bring with? Daniel in first, and then we'll do Phil. All right, let's go. So Daniel Prince is joining us. He's got a new podcast on the scene, Once Bitten. Uh, we'll wait for him to get his audio going here. All right. And Daniel, you're on mute so far, so unmute yourself. Uh, I was hoping the question would be from his daughter. Usually he leads off his podcast with a really hard, you know, hard-hitting question from his daughter. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Uh, I've got no sound on my side. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, Yeah, we we hear you you fine. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know, man. Like uh, you guys are all doing such great work, and I just feel I I have to represent um, from the other side of the pond. Seems to be um, so much, so much innovation going on in the space in in the U.S. and, and North America. Uh, so I guess the the big question is, um, Corey, I've asked you this before, but perhaps you could um, you know expand on it again. Uh, when Europe, guys, and uh, that's that's open to everyone. <laughs> the other side. Of the- uh, well, uh, so I'll go first. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, the banking relationships are, are really everything for a company that's, that's selling Bitcoin. And so you actually kind of do have to go country by country. Um, so you, you kind of do have to hit a decent amount of scale to want to take, take on another country, especially if your starting point is the US and, you know, we feel like we have 0.00001 or whatever percent penetration of our home market. Um, and there are also such good options in some of the other attractive markets. And, you know, so right now we ju- we're just focused on, you know, doing as well as we can with, you know, what we think is probably like 50% of the total addressable market for people who would be buying Bitcoin, um, you know, comparing our average basket size to some of the other services around the world, you know, our users are buying about three X more per month. So it just kind of makes sense to go super hard here and, and penetrate the U S as much as possible. Um, Plus, it's just kind of like in the early days when you're small, it's way more fun to just have like brothers in arms around the world and just be able to like help great businesses grow like Bull Bitcoin and Amber and Bitteroo. And, you know, it looks like the coin floor got their, uh, got their thing going. They just launched uh, DCA for the UK a couple weeks ago. 
Um, you got Bitter and, and, and Ruben Waterman for much of the EU. You just saw, I think, uh, another app just launched in, uh, in Italy specifically with Salabank that looks pretty solid. So, um, you know, pe- people are finding more options and not having to like jerry rig things together with like buying into Tether and then, you know, setting up some weird thing or, you know, using Revolut to connect to some bank in some other jurisdiction. Like some entrepreneur in each, each region is starting to figure out how to, uh, you know, join the church of Satoshi and follow the friar into the, the land of dollar cost averaging. Um, so, <laughs> so, we're, so we're happy right now for the near term, but definitely, you know, we, we have the conversations underway with lawyers. We have a global law firm. I know what it costs. I know what it will take. We do have the relationships, you know, at least we have the connections to get those banking relationships. It just doesn't really make sense. We're a small team, you know, like, uh, like Will and his team, like it just doesn't make sense to, to add all that overhead um, when we have so much room to grow here. Yeah, I'd, I'd you know, to, to create a Bitcoin business, you know, you have, number one, a whole extra level of scrutiny, but you also still rely, need to rely on the same people that everyone else does, your banking partners, you know, our payment processing networks, uh, your, your favorite local regulatory body. Um, and to create a business that is number one, you know, successful getting traction that people like, but also fits in its own Tetris into its local context is not a simple thing to do. And so as we look out and we'd want, you know, being a Bitcoin company, we want our service to be freely available to anyone around the world. And that's the ideal um, but getting it in even just a given region is a, is a massive lift. And so for fold, you know, we personally think we have so much more that we need to do to get the servers right for even users in the United States, uh, that that roadmap alone is, is so large. And I, I really totally agree with Corey is that, you know, I get entrepreneurs from all around the world reaching out to me saying, Hey, why aren't you in Nigeria? And I say, you know, give them the spiel. And then I'm like, well, here, I'm happy to help you give you information on how you could set it up in Nigeria as well. Because I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, again, making these types of services decentralized in the way that multiple entrepreneurs are creating them all around the world strengthens the network and application side of this, of the, of us overall. And so, um, I want to get to the UK, UK and Canada are our next, um, uh, regions. So we will be there. Uh, but you know, for the rest of the world, I, I encourage this, you know, this community, people like us to, you know, help entrepreneurs doing things, you know, in areas that are not, not well served right now. For Unchained Capital, uh, our multi-signature vaults are available internationally for both business and retail clients. And then our, our lending service is, um, available on a case-by-case basis for certain international countries. We kind of review them individually, but we have made uh, loans to international clients. They're, they tend to be, to have uh, like higher requirements. So generally higher than $100,000 uh, for an international loan. And then of course our open source tool Caravan is available to anyone 24 seven, 365. It's just live on GitHub, you can check it out. Cool. Thank you so much, guys. And um, to um, to your point, Will, um, I do feel this in in the Bitcoin space, and um, I think it's a great way that we're heading. Um, you know, legacy business has always been around uh, competition. Do you feel that um, businesses now that are being built in the Bitcoin space are more collaborative rather than competitive? And is that the way we need to head? 
And that's for the floor as well. Sorry, not not yeah. just that will, but just um, you know, uh, following we're, up on your your point. You know, we're we're you know, if Bitcoin had to bootstrap its own network, we're having to bootstrap the actual application layer and, and how people start to interact with this. And the faster we can experiment, the faster we're going to get to the right ways to onboard, the right services to offer, the right incentive structures. Um, and so, you know, personally, I was in a in a uh, in a Zoom the other day, and I got paired. Uh, on, it was on the topic of working together um, in the future, and I was randomly paired with uh, the Bit Refill guys. And it was like, hey, you know, we've actually Bit Refill and Fold actually have common origins and started actually in the same office. And since then, you know, we are on the surface competitive, but we all we tackle our our own niche. You know, Bit Refill is doing amazing with global reach and 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 allowing people to access the econ uh, access you know, traditional um, retailers with Bitcoin wherever they are in the world. Fold is doing its own thing here, mostly in North America. And we have both learned quite a bit from each other. And so I know Fold is better off taking that 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 approach. Uh, and I hope to see more of that from others because it's, it's worked for us so far. Yeah, and at Unchained, I think I can I can agree with that. Like we we recognize at this point that multi-signatory use among even Bitcoiners is such a small uh, small percentage of even uh, Bitcoiners themselves, which is also already such a small niche. So we've been spending a lot of time over the last year, you know, um, educating Bitcoiners or educating people about Bitcoin with our our um, you know content, as well as uh, trying to build the open source multi-signature ecosystem and give people a, a few more options to just try out multi-sig, because we really don't want to be the only, you know, I think right now it's us and CASA are, are doing uh, sort of collaborative custody multi-signature, which is where you have keys distributed among multiple parties. And for a robust Bitcoin ecosystem, I mean, we shouldn't be the only two companies doing that. We should really grow that. And all companies should be, you know, if possible, uh, holding a minority of the keys so that we reduce the amount of central points of failure in the system. You know, we don't want to see any more of those Mt. Gox or Bitfinex or Quadriga hacks anymore. Like with Bitcoin and multi-signature in particular, we can distribute keys so that those types of attacks are less likely. Let's right, pull Dan. in. Uh, let's pull in, Mr. Sue. All right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate your questions and Thank popping you. in with us, man. And Dan, you're welcome to stay on. By the way, we're not going to kick you out. We know you if if you feel <laughs> like it, or you can jet. Either way, I'll stick around for a bit. Thanks very much. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> this is of course another podcaster, um, and Phil. Let's see. I think he's popping in now. Yeah, here he is. Phil has a podcast uh, called A Boy Named Sue. And he, his podcast, spent like 100 episodes, not, you know, not a, talking about Bitcoin at all, talking about all kinds of things. And he's recently fallen down the rabbit hole and is doing some awesome Bitcoin interviews. Always in the tank tops too. What's up, Phil? Always. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Phil, yeah, is, that an, got is that an unchanged shirt I see in the background there? It is. You know... I want to be decent. I really did, but I'm at home at work and I'm comfortable, but I thought it was important to at least bring it out. So people watching can see what the back of the shirt says, which is, will tell, I mean, Phil, tell us what it is. <laughs> Other Phil. Yeah. Friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. So uh, there you go. Uh, podcaster Phil is, is 
also a, a uh, Austin-based Bitcoiner. I uh, hope I didn't box you too much, man. But uh, Unchained Capital is based in Austin, Texas. So he's been by, been by the office, been to a few of the Bitcoin developer meetups that Justin Moon and Buck really have put on. Shout out Mooniversity. I've uh, played around with that in quarantine and I'm uh, looking forward to him adding more stuff to it. But apparently he's working on some pretty cool stuff. But yeah, if you are going to a bit dev meetup, you should come to this one or New York or start your own wherever you are because I learn so much every time I go. And like Brady says, Bitcoin is definitely a renaissance and I'm not the same person I was in November of all things, but <laughs> it's really been awesome. Like every day is a new journey. So, you know. The dawn of the Bitcoin Renaissance. We were talking recently about how Bitcoin, well, we were actually writing a chapter of the gift of Bitcoin, which is the book that comes along with um, a, a give Bitcoin gift. And chapter five is about um, the optimism of Bitcoin. And a lot of it was about how Bitcoin changes us as people uh, individually um, in very meaningful ways. And the amazing you know, thing about that is that it happens from the, from a very small, uh, simple fact, which is just the truth, the truth of sound money, right? And, and how it extends our time preference. Uh, and from that simple, you know, kind of fundamental difference in the fiat money and, and Bitcoin, uh, you get these, all these follow-on effects. And it, it's amazing how fast it can change your life and, and change your habits. And uh, yeah, so it's amazing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I I think I'm more, I guess, fortunate than others because I was like automatically on the libertarian side. So the whole free market thing was there, but just challenging myself and learning like how Bitcoin works. I mean, uh, Jan's, Jan's book is like a great place to start and just learning about lightning and, and on, on top of that. And it's really kind of uh, jumping into the sovereign individual thesis of embracing technology and doing what you can and uh, with, with what you have now. And I guess it goes hand in hand with having a low time preference as well, because you're taking in all this knowledge, but then you're also preparing yourself, you know, for the needed skills that you'll need for the future, because this is all exponential. So um, it's a lot, but I'm, I'm taking it day by day and I'm actually like surprised of, um, of, of how I've been able to like take these complex ideas in like a way that's like a fun everyday like analogy that I can understand. So, you know, more knowledge, please. <laughs> <laughs> so Phil, do you have some questions for our guests? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I kind of muted out there. I was in like the zoom mempool. So apologies if some of these questions have been answered already. Uh, let me see here. The Zoom mimple. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thankfully, I wasn't Zoom bombed. You've, you've been included in a block now, so. All right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no orphan blocks for this guy, please. Uh, so, uh, so, Will, I have a few questions, but I wanted to start with this one because as stacking sats and just hobbling becomes the norm, what innovations and capabilities do you see um, being applied and leveraged with UTXO sets uh, other than just like collateral? Because right now I think that's kind of like the only thing that we see, but just kind of curious of uh, what your take on that is. You know, anytime you have a 
a scarce resource, you say, well, what should this be used for? What can it be used for? And those give, lead you to different answers. And I think, you know, you can see the time stamping stuff that we've seen from uh, the, you know, a little different than the storing assets, the, you see on the lightning network, uh, messaging apps being built out for kind of unstoppable messaging platforms. And the cool thing about Bitcoin is that it, I, it really doesn't matter who builds and uses UTXO sets because at the end of the day, the, the, the market is going to price that. And if, if that use case is supported and deserves that, um, that position or that ability you know, to be in the UTXO sets, then it will be supported. But if not, the incentives just won't be there and it, you know, it will fizzle out. So I'm actually really curious to see what happens to the, you know, the Veriblox stuff the, um, the lightning messaging to see if the value of those services actually matches up with, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's right to be in the sets. Yeah, totally. And the coolest thing I've loved to learn about Bitcoin is just like the honesty of how we actually have an actual free market working in action and everyone's just freaking out about it. That's why all this liquidation is uh, happening in the, the, uh, on the, what legacy side of that but yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm really hopeful for what's to come and then you know we can't go without mentioning mining and uh how that's helping out with uh energy and whatnot um another question do you see fold actually creating a wallet of your own uh non-custodial so after they stack their sets and they're brand new to bitcoin uh you know eventually they want to take full custody and you know send that to a wallet so have y'all thought about that or maybe like something cold storage along those lines yeah you know what we think about this all the time because we we set out to do basically one thing is re um reimagine the onboarding process for 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 someone into bitcoin and so historically that has been um uh you know connecting to an exchange uh going through kyc uh, buying Bitcoin, uh, having to get a wallet to, you know, take it off the exchange. There's just a, a vast amount of uh, steps that are so valuable to why Bitcoin is here and why it's, why it's such a great thing. But for an everyday person, that's, that is, it's, it's pretty daunting. And full yeah. said it doesn't need to be, but we need to preserve, to Phil's point, the, the, the value system of Bitcoin. And the end goal should be holding private keys. That's why we are all here. And so it's incumbent on folds. If we're opening up a new way for people to get onboarded in the system and we're doing it without any private keys, without any KYC for the most, for, for some people, and um, without you know, all of the traditional you know, time it takes to go through an exchange, now we have to suddenly, we are the, uh, we're welcoming in all these new users and it's incumbent on us to educate them about this asset and how to, um, how to use this asset, best practices. And so for us, similar to Swan, is we have a, a, a huge responsibility to hand off to the fills of the world in a great way, to educate why their services are valuable um, and why Fold is not, uh, you know, can get you to the, a certain stage of it. But, you know, this is an ecosystem and it takes an ecosystem to do it. So will Fold build it? We are really good at building consumer facing, uh, you know, fun products and services that just delight people, get them in there, start to learn about it. But we are not the experts at building non-custodial and multi-sig, you know, solutions. And so what we 
have to think about you know our resources, our time, and what we are really good at, and then partner with those who are really good at their thing, so that we can bring this ecosystem together and create more kind of links in the chain. So I think before Fold would ever build it, uh, we would want to really look to the leaders who are already providing those great services. Yeah, and that's the coolest thing about Bitcoin too is it just brings people of like so many different talents into their own little niche that they can like contribute to it. Because again, Bitcoin doesn't care who you are, you know, as long as you have something of value to you know, contribute to it, then uh, something's going to come out of it. But uh, something unique that you guys uh, have, have done, I haven't seen anyone else do it, but the anonymous account option. So I'm just curious how that came about and how you were able to take advantage of that as well as kind of deal with the, the prior, um, you know, KYC kind of standards and how you were able to kind of get around the. That is the oldest, um, sign in, uh, option for fold. Is it? Um, I'm a newbie. So I know. Yeah, no, I know. And it's, it, it was our first thing you know, number one, we feel like taking is the, the least amount of data is, 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 is also, uh, something that we strive to do. And, um, uh, the, again, speaking to why it doesn't fold go all over the world is that, you know, we are situated in a given compliance and regulatory, uh, uh, context. And with that, you know, we are working with gift cards and rewards with both have very specific designations in, in different, in different areas. Um, and so for us, we want to always preserve and, and have our Bitcoin and our business, not just give Bitcoin, but reflect the values of Bitcoin. And so we are always going to be looking for areas that number one, keep us within compliance, but number two, if we don't need to do it, or we can, we can create something new for users, we will pursue that. And so the anonymous login is definitely one of those. Now you'll start to see as the more fold is starting to get integrated into legacy financial systems and we move out of some of the carve outs that we currently enjoy, you know, you won't be able to do anonymous mode on everything, right? There, there are going to yeah. be limits and that's because business that's regulated. Um, so, um, it is something that is, I think that's, you know, we are proud of those types of things within fold and we are going to do our best to preserve them and amplify them in any way that we can while also making sure that, you know, we stay on the right side of the law. So in regards to the law, I mean, how have you been able to just hop over those uh, legal hurdles and processing fiat? Because again, that's still going to be like the easiest thing for, for no coiners down the road. And then how do you transition from that fiat uh, onboarding process to a, a circular economy of Bitcoin? Because businesses like yours and Unchained Capital is pretty genius because it's just kind of like one uh, ride down the slide like from Fold to Unchained because after they learn about that, or even, oh, of course Swan too, but like, you know, after they learn about that, then they want to um, really en enhance and leverage their, uh, their custody and knowledge and keeping their Bitcoin safe. So yeah, uh, I guess like first, how do you get rid of the fiat like on-ramping or how are you, you currently processing that to make it feasible? But then... How do you kind of kick that out the, the door and do that circular Bitcoin economy? Yeah, so we, we, we started accepting credit and debit cards in September or October of last year. We did that to open the floodgates and tear down any what barriers between people who want Bitcoin, interested in Bitcoin, curious, have it, want to stack more and fold. And so doing so, 
my favorite journey to see is those coming in, spending on their credit card and debit card, and 15 to 20%, depending on the month, will start spending with Lightning to take advantage of the higher incentives that we give. So we give more cash back when you spend with Lightning. Yeah. And so what this starts to do is that they're now spending Lightning and, and spending their Bitcoin, but they're earning more Bitcoin. They're making sure that their HODL stack is always kept nice and topped up to where they want to be. But the cool thing is all the Bitcoin, none of it is being sold anywhere at this point. It's all being reallocated or redistributed to people who are earning rewards. And so we are bootstrapping the circular economy within Fold to having this rewards and um, cycling both as payments and payouts to to users. And so we want to support that journey as much as possible. And I think things like uh, Strike and other things point to even kind of taking it one step further with the direct USD into Bitcoin is, is, is interesting as well. But um, again, just another experiment in how to, how to spur people to go further and further down the rabbit hole. And, you know, with our payment processing today, you know, we have uh, partnerships with uh, payment processors, banks uh, that currently allow us to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, the main thing is that Fold operates in, 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 you know, we have gift cards and rewards, which have really generous and good um, uh, regulatory de designation to allow us to do the things that we do. Um, but again, as Visa comes more and more in the platform and things like that, you know, it's things, things could change or evolve. Yeah, just real quick on that. I saw a Coindesk article and it was just kind of like a warning to, to the FSB about stable coins and how like each country should uh, reconsider how they evaluate that. So, I mean, stable coins are going to be stable coins, whatever. It's not Bitcoin. We all know that. But with, I guess, the world being more keyed in on crypto and watching this fiat apocalypse kind of happen before our eyes, I mean, how do you uh, look at Bitcoin and think of that? And like this question is for uh, Swan and Unchained and everyone here as well. I mean, what, what do we think about that and i mean I, I think the answer should be just take the cypherpunk attitude and don't ask for permission and, and just do it but there's consequences consequences on that end too because you know if you just step too far a certain direction then you know you might get your hand slapped so i don't know just moving forward like how how do we think about the Hey, I, I love that question. I also want to just uh, welcome Sergey into the chat here from uh, BitRefill. Thanks for joining. Uh, that's probably a really good question for you too. Uh, I don't know if you heard what Phil just asked, but uh, maybe you want to take that one. Oh, we don't have audio for Sergey. Uh, All right. Do I hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we do. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so the question is how to generally deal with potentially hostile regulators. Is that, uh, uh, is that the question or what is the question more specifically? I mean, just to Pretty rephrase, much. like kind of like where to, where to draw the line and how to think about, you know, your business and having, you know, employees and your name out there, but also trying to balance that with the cypherpunk ethos of Bitcoin and trying to make sure that we're on, you know, sort of firm, unassailable, decentralized as possible ground uh for the future maybe because essentially you have to think back like why satoshi made this it's permissionless and i'm so he didn't ask for permission when he made bitcoin he he just did it so yeah but should... it is anonymously uh yeah. you have to remember that uh and it's uh, uh this is a big part of uh, the whole thing 
uh, I don't know, like, uh, uh, you know, guys like me said that the Americans were going to crack down on the stable coins in 2017. Uh, they didn't. So, uh, you know, guys like me have been wrong for several years now and have started to shut their mouths. Uh, so, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that it is, uh, I mean, I think you should follow the law. <laughs> Uh, right. I mean, you you can you can't not do it uh, under. Well, I guess there are some examples, especially from the 17 era, of people who actually didn't and uh, landed in a good place. But many landed in bad places, and I guess it depends on your your own personal uh, risk uh, strategy. Um, I think there's plenty you can do that is uh, uh, safely within uh, the realms of what is uh, within the law, and to the extent that I mean, there's Probably a point that is where, where if if the laws become too prohibitive, when when it becomes time to start moving the company to other jurisdictions and so on, I guess that's what we've seen with Binance and so on as well, doing that uh, uh, very actively. And maybe that's even their competitive advantage. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, like uh, about the stable coins. Uh, We'll see. And there's a bunch of other topics that are a little bit like that. And I think it's it's part of, uh, you know, uh, it's part of every investor conversation that I think uh, all of us have is like, what if the regulatory environment changes? And, and it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> that is what if. But I, I usually tell them that it's it's more likely that Coinbase disappears uh, than that the truth will disappear. Um, well, it's simply because of like the number of uh, countries and the, type of laws uh, that uh, uh, cover our respective businesses, it would probably be much easier to shut down Coinbase than to shut down Bitrefill. But that said, you could probably you know, shut us down in, in a particular country and so on. Like, it's not unthinkable uh, that we, we'd get shut down in the US or something. I don't know. But we, we haven't seen any tendency towards that. Uh, but I think uh, from from our perspective, like we've... Uh, We've had countries come and go a little bit. We had a very active business in India, and then the India got shut down, and then India is back. Uh, uh, we had a big business in Nigeria, and that got shut down, and then it came back, so on. So we've like also a little bit learned uh, about uh, like uh, that uh, regulatory environments come and go a little bit. And uh, yeah, and I, I sure guess it really <laughs> no, that, that was perfect, man. I mean, it's a hard question to answer, but. I think it really just goes back to the notion of decentralization and Bitcoinizing the globe. Cause like you said, in other countries, I mean, it varies, but you know, as long as there's a few of us in every country, it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to have to play a lot of whack-a-mole to get done what they want to get done or they just embrace it. Well, I mean, for one thing I would uh, look outside uh, we're all in different parts of the world, all suffering under one of the same problem. Everybody agrees that it's a problem. There's a broad international consensus to the, to the extent uh, that has never happened probably in the history of the world. That, like the, the shared understanding of the problem uh, and the, the shared appreciation of the problem. And every country uh, wants to get rid of the problem, and yet they're not successful at collaborating and stamping out this particular problem. Right? Uh, and so uh, compare that with uh, a scenario in which countries decide to stamp out Bitcoin. Well, 
you know, one of them can, but it's probably going to spread out somewhere else. Sorry, sorry for the analogy. <laughs> no, that's a good problem. We hadn't, we hadn't talked about coronavirus yet, so, it, you know, we have to bring it up. I think we're obligated. It had to be point. done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before we run out of time, I wanted to bring things, circle back to uh, Phil's recent article on 21 million is not negotiable, and I think all of us here can, uh, can agree with that and can comment on it if we have time. Uh, Phil, can you talk about some of the, you know, misconceptions or misunderstandings that, uh, you know, these, these people who are sort of pro-inflation and uh, concerned about the future security of the network uh, um, and therefore, you know, suggesting that we need to extend the block reward uh, beyond its intended uh, schedule? Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's a bunch of different uh, components to that, right? Like, I think the, one of the reasons that I wrote the article was uh, I was, I was recently triggered by an article written uh, by a, a, a crypto publication that suggested that Bitcoin's monetary policy governors needed to adjust the supply to increase security. Um, so that kind of led me down uh, this, this path of writing this article. And, and it was really just to answer the question, will Bitcoin be secure once all 21 million Bitcoin have been mined? Um, in the first article I wrote, it's, they're, they're kind of... Um, Tangential. The first article I wrote is all 21 million Bitcoin already exist. Um, so starting from that framework, then you're able to kind of look at this problem like, well, why is it secure in the first place? It's because Bitcoin is the only scarce currency. It's the only currency that has 21 million. But then a lot of times people kind of make, um, kind of allow for some wiggle room there. Like, yeah, the supply is 21 million, but they're not already all mined. So therefore they... You know, don't exist and the supply could be changed. Um, but I think what we all have to do individually as full node operators is just make that decision, right? If you are running a full node, you are a Bitcoin monetary policy governor, you get to decide what the supply is going to be. So making that decision early and just being uh, loud about it, I think is important. Um, so for me, 21, my node, 21 million is non-negotiable. I'm hoping that your nodes are the same. Um, and then the other, the other issue is, is that a lot of times people will be evaluating Bitcoin, measuring it in another currency, right? And that's, that's by default what we all tend to do. We, we tend to measure Bitcoin in US dollars. We look at the cost of securing it in US dollars. Um, but from the network perspective, it has no way of, of you know, evaluating itself in another currency. It just adjusts depending on... Uh, or in order to maintain a consistent block reward in the supply schedule. And throughout, you know, 11 plus years of a wildly fluctuating price and, you know, you know, thousand X percentage in hash rate increase, uh, like Bitcoin has maintained a fixed supply, a uh, consistent schedule, and that's even including inflation bugs. That's the other the other issue that people like to bring up is, well, there's already been an inflation bug. And what we can do is we can all assume that there will be additional inflation bugs in the future. But as full node operators, we can make a decision right now to say, my node won't follow any chain that has inflation. And what I'll do instead is I will take the inflation coins, sell them for more Bitcoin, which has a supply of 21 million. So that's where that social consensus and technical consensus, consensus kind of meet. Right on. Thanks, man. Jimmy Song has joined us. What's up, Jimmy? Thanks for hopping in. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. What, uh, I just <laughs> hopped in. I just finished my other show, so I was already at my uh, podcasting area. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy to do it because it's, uh, it's very convenient. But uh, 
what are you guys talking about? So, <laughs> what, so what, Jimmy, what, what me, am I here for? Yeah, so let me set the context. So every week we have a couple of people on uh, at the beginning of the show and the format, the first month or two of this has been just to kind of chat for 45 minutes to an hour. We decided to uh, bring back the video call-in format that we initially started last fall for, uh, for Give Bitcoin. Seems to be going pretty well. We got Daniel Prince from the Ones Bitten podcast in here. We got uh, Phil Gibson from Mr. Sue podcast. Guy Swan was on earlier. And of course, we've got our, our featured guests, Will Reeves from Fold and Phil Geiger from Unchained. And then we also got uh, Sergey from BitRefill uh, joined us as well. We were just about to jump into uh, a little bit of uh, Corona and macro as relates to Bitcoin chat to finish this off. And uh, that doesn't take much prep. Um, so how are you doing personally? How's Austin? How are you seeing this whole thing uh, roll out? And what is, how is it all going to affect Bitcoin over the next, you know, few months, few years, et cetera? Well, I mean, uh, Austin's, uh, I think, pretty much like every other place, it's completely dead. Uh, I mean, it's, it's weird. Downtown is dead. But if you walk around your neighborhood, you see people walking around They're They're all like kind of going crazy right because they're, they're gonna go do something uh and that that involves taking walks or going on a run or riding on a bike or playing basketball in their yard or whatever just anything that doesn't involve touching other people and it, it's kind of a weird surreal world uh, and i'm sure all of you can identify with that um as far as like what what uh, what what's what's been happening the the thing that's most concerning to me aren't uh pandemics or viruses and things like that, those, those have happened throughout human history and those are, will continue to happen. As tragic as they may be, uh, it's something that we've had to deal with, something that nature kind of causes. The thing that's much more concerning to me is uh, entirely human cause, and that's this uh, giant bucket of money printing that's been happening at the Fed. Um, last I checked, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of $6.5 trillion dollars. I suspect that'll be closer to like 10 trillion by the time this is all over. But it's, it's an insane amount of money. I've been keeping track of the Federal Reserve's uh, uh, M2 money supply charts. Uh, you know, at the beginning of this year, it was uh, M2 money supply uh, of USD was $15.3 trillion. As of March 30th, it was 16.7 trillion, an increase of 8.5% in monetary expansion. I just want to remind everybody that Bitcoin will soon be entering an era of less than 2% annual monetary expansion as of next month. So that in itself is, I, I, I think, the main way in which Bitcoin benefits is that there, there is a significant amount of monetary expansion. Now, like a lot of that is to um, combat a lot uh, the monetary contraction that is cur currently happening. A lot of international loans or um, sort of any international settlement has to happen with the dollar ever since Bretton Woods in 1944. So as a result of that, uh, a lot of the loans are in dollars. So there, uh, as we get sort of a liquidity crunch, there's a huge demand for dollars out in the world. So dollar will be okay for the time being. But that also means that all of these other currencies that aren't the dollar, that don't have a large demand or a large population or a large base or a large... GDP to back it up against, um, they suffer way more than the dollar. Because uh, if you can, uh, if you are in these countries and you need to settle in the dollar, you're going to get rid of your current country's currency and go get the dollar. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is that the dollar doesn't, uh, um, 
suffer as much uh, of uh, uh, an increase in prices, uh, but the other currencies do. So in a sense, the U.S. is exporting a lot of the inflation to the third world, which uh, unfortunately, they're going to be the ones to suffer first. Uh, we will eventually suffer for all of this. Um, and this is why Bitcoin and gold are becoming en enormously popular at the moment. People recognize this reality and they want to uh, you know, do something about it. And uh, Bitcoin is one of the few ways in which you can store value that's independent of the U.S. dollar. Um, you know, stock market, bonds, uh, real estate, all of that is heavily and uh, like very closely linked to the dollar, whereas Bitcoin at least is nominally um, and uh, gold uh, as well, uh, like separate and not as closely linked. Hey, Brady, can you switch us to a gallery view on the on the broadcast real quick. Done. All right, cool. Uh, so I just want everybody to raise a hand if you think that the Fed will print more than $10 trillion because of this COVID crisis. <laughs> All right. how, how would you, how do you guys uh, sort of, uh, what's the mental process uh, to land at an answer to that question? So, well, I will, I'll share a couple of other numbers. It, it turns out that Jimmy's actually uh, a fed bull. If he thinks it's going to stop at 10 um, versus some other folks that are out there. Uh, Jim Bianco from uh, Bianco research. who's a pretty uh, regular guest on macro voices with Eric Townsend has his, he and his team have done the calcs and, and are basically estimating 45 to 47 trillion. Um, wow. Yeah. That's then, uh, more than the GDP. You know, you know, the, yeah. all of the real estate in the United States is 31 trillion. That's way more like that could buy every single piece of property in existence. Because it's not all just for the U.S. As you noted, there's a dollar <laughs> shortage with basically global debt being nominated in, in the U.S. dollar. And so to backstop everything that's broken, you know, all the crap corporate loans, all these triple B loans that are actually junk, all of these failing, you know, government loans to, you know, southern mediterranean countries etc uh all of that all told he says 45 to 47 trillion uh chamath came out uh, about 10 days ago uh at 50 to 60 trillion okay that's that's way more than gdp i think yes it is <laughs> yes it is but that's the kind of situation that we're in so basically if you wanted to backstop all these things you're either going to have to print that money and make it available to these people to, to essentially monetize all of this broken debt, or you're going to have to see defaults. But there isn't a third way. Uh, so, at which point does uh, inflation kick in? According to this, uh, this estimate? well, that's that actually that is the third way. Is basically just well, I mean, the the, the modernization of the debt. That that's what all the printing is. That is that is inflation. Um, so the crisis sure, is but, like uh, deflationary, like, yeah, but I then mean, uh, you turn where, inflationary. Where do we, when do we start to notice? Uh, you know. Uh, common man inflation noticing price six of months going up, six like months that. 2021 and it'll be big but i'm sure there's thesis. some third world country that'll that'll collapse in the next uh next couple of years due to hyperinflation um i i, I think that much is certain there the economic burden of uh of having to settle in the dollar while trying to not having enough exports and not enough uh you know, consumer market to like uh, export their goods into that, that that's going to be absolutely crushing for them. So they'll probably feel it first. It, it really depends on who you mean by the common man, right? Like, cause there, there's a common man in the U S that's going to feel it much later than the common man in Indonesia who will probably feel it much quicker. 
I think the best indication is when the people at the money spigot start to hurt. If that's possible. <laughs> it's possible because they it, won't have any Bitcoin or those who don't <laughs> have any Bitcoin. Well, so Corey, I'm, I'm curious about these numbers. Where, where did they get the 45 to 47 from? Like wh- what needs to be unrolled that you need a number that big? Uh, you know, I don't remember every detail of the episode. Uh-huh. This is probably like March 17th by now. So almost mm-hmm. a month ago that I listened to it. But if I recall, it was just basically the Euro dollar system, you know, mm-hmm. essentially needing to be propped up or it dies. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. where most of US dollar creation comes from is from the Euro dollar system. Uh, meaning that uh, you need to prop up uh, the that it's just Europe that needs oh, the this, dollars. Yeah. In well, to- euro dollar is kind of a blanket term. The uh-huh. euro dollar system just means dollars held offshore. It's just offshore I offshore see. dollars. It it basically just means the just like in the U.S. You know, we we know that most money is essentially just created by credit. It's just mm-hmm. when you lend money, you create money. We have a credit based system. It's just that happening globally. So those banks creating dollar denominated loans for each other and like Greece having dollar denominated debt that obviously they can never pay back because they just don't have any money. Or let's take, you know, a a country I'm partial to with half my family being from there, like Turkey, you know, they have a lot of dollar denominated debt so they can, you know, they can print lira all they want, but some banker has some inside information and starts shorting it and the lira starts losing value against the dollar and you know you can't run that printer all night yeah i guess that's why they have like the dollar swap agreements with the foreign central banks and so on um and i i think i also saw that uh yeah they they were providing quote-unquote liquidity at like sort of some fixed rate uh of exchange or something like that in order to prop up those currencies but yeah. I mean, last I read, it was only like seven hundred fifty billion. I, I was I was thinking that that seemed kind of low. Um, that that's not going to uh, be able to supply that many countries with those kinds of populations and those kinds of GDPs to uh, to do that. If uh, you know, I mean, you're pour, pouring six billion on the state side. That's, uh, that's yeah. crazy. I, I think what's very clear is that we need to do a uh, a macro guests. Uh, episode next week or the week after and we'll get like Andy Edstrom and Elizabeth Prefontaine and some people like that in here because um, yes all us, all us tech founders podcasters and engineers are not going to solve the macroeconomic <laughs> problem but uh, it, it is scary it is definitely scary and, and I think at, a, at the very least it does appear that we will be entering you know a, a decade or, or more of, uh, of an inflationary environment and the really scary thing about that um, just to summarize all the freaking podcasts I listen to is, uh, you know, basically what that means for people's asset portfolio constructions. And this goes from every retail investor with a 60, 40 stock and bond portfolio to, you know, Ray Dalio and Bridgewater, which has had a really rough year. It basically means that, um, stocks and bonds will move, uh, in tandem instead of opposite each other, uh, for the first time. And we've, we've had a essentially like a 40 year bull run, in bonds where all you really had to do was just be long bonds and you were just like an, a superstar investor. And that's basically over now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where the money goes whenever the Fed prints, right? Like <laughs> that's yeah. where it ends up usually. So <sighs> yeah. Anyway, well, uh, so let's, let's do one final question from the crowd just to uh, get off that topic and get back to, to Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin podcast. Um, so this is from, we have an, a total Anon 
Nim in the, in the crowd chat. I'm glad to have some of y'all. Um, this one says, uh, are there any publicly available metrics other than Google Trends that provide indications of the level of Bitcoin adoption slash interest? And uh, so maybe somebody can just uh, verbally summarize Clark's dashboard for uh, the audience. <laughs> I mean, that's one, but personally, I, I, uh, I mean, I look at the reports from various exchanges and whatnot. They usually... I mean, they, they don't uh, come out with it very often, but usually they will have some announcement about like how they did in the past quarter of uh, new signups and stuff like that. Uh, pretty much every exchange that I've talked to has said that March 12th was their busiest and most profitable day in a very long time. And uh, that seems to be the case with a lot of different uh, people. So um, that that seems to indicate that like people are... are Voting with their money, in a sense, and that's the that's the purest kind of vote that you can have uh, versus you know just searching for Bitcoin on Google. Um, that's that's a very um, very early funnel. Uh, signing up for an account on Coinbase or something is much later in the funnel. So I think that's a lot more accurate. I think just to 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 think of it from like a Bitcoin native perspective as well. The, the HODL waves chart is, I think, a really interesting view of where we're at in like a, a exponential growth cycle or just a growth cycle in general. But what we typically see before large bull markets measured in US dollar is the Bitcoin sitting in addresses gets older and older and older over time. And uh, currently what we're seeing is the, the two to three year Bitcoin has uh, banned has just been expanding. So what that means is that Bitcoin has been sitting uh, or a much, much higher percentage of Bitcoin that's available has been sitting for between two to three years. Um, and that's just, I think, very bullish. It indicates that long-term hodlers are continuing to hodl. They're not selling as, as a lot of the sort of Ponzi scheme skeptics like to claim. Um, but reality kind of shows that people are using Bitcoin to save for the long term. If you look at, you know, how the network is, is uh, looking today. Great. Well, Brady, you want to bring us home? Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. I really appreciate everyone joining in. This was a lot of fun. Uh, this is the first time we've kind of had people jump in. I think it worked out well. Um, thanks so much to Will and Phil for joining us uh, from Fold and Unchained. Uh, really excited to hear about the uh, progress that uh, Fold is making and really excited to get that card in my hands and in my wife's hands <laughs> uh, so that we can start getting mm. some sats back. Um, thanks for hopping in, Sergey, uh, Phil, Daniel, Jimmy. Uh, appreciate you guys coming in as well. Let me finish just with one final shell for uh, Bitcoin or Ventures, which is uh, off and running and is uh, just crossed the 50% mark for uh, uh, filling up our allocation into our first deal. Um, so that's pretty exciting. That's uh, me and Stefan Lavera, Louis Liu, and Jan Pritzker as the partners there. And we've got a, a great advisory board and some venture partners, including uh, Will here uh, from Fold is, is helping us find deals and meet investors and things like that. So you can go to bitcoinorventures.com get more information on that. Uh, we're cutting checks into uh, the best Bitcoin companies around the world. And um, you have, it's, it, we're doing it through AngelList syndicates, which basically means you just qualify as an investor on AngelList and then you will always have the right, but not the obligation to participate in the deals. And you can invest as little as $1,000 US. 
uh, and that's open to people globally. So we'd love to have uh, all Bitcoiners that have a little bit of interest in, uh, in uh, startup investing check it out and get access to, uh, well, let's just say that one of those companies that's not Swan is represented on this call, um, although you can't uh, advertise exactly which one for SEC rules, but um, <laughs> there, there are some awesome businesses out there that are growing fast and uh, that should benefit from being the picks and shovels to uh, the bright orange future. And uh, yeah, we're just, we're glad to support. And um, also should mention that the partners for Bitcoin Adventures take no fees and no carry. And we also invest alongside uh, all of the other folks in the syndicates on the exact same terms. So it is not a profit making venture. It's just to uh, find and identify and just coordinate investment into great Bitcoin companies. Awesome, man. We're all in this together. Let's go Bitcoin. Thanks everyone. Take care. On behalf of the Swan team, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode of the Swan Signal podcast. Join us live next time if you can. Jump into our Swan Signal Telegram chat room. We have a lively crew in there that chat during our conversation and throughout the rest of the week. You can ask questions of our guests uh, during the broadcast. You can find that chat at t.me slash swansignal, S-W-A-N-S-I-G-N-A-L. Swan Signal is a production of Swan Bitcoin at swanbitcoin.com, the best way to buy Bitcoin. The easiest setup of automatic buys with very low fees for this kind of service. In fact, the lowest in the United States. Uh, We're focused on stacking sats, not trading. There's no distractions on our app. We're forever Bitcoin only. You can automatically withdraw your Bitcoin to your wallet. It's truly a set it and forget it uh, service. We're also committed to Bitcoin education, to being good stewards of the blockchain and the community. Follow us on Twitter at SwanBitcoin and subscribe to the podcast at swansignalpodcast.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us.